You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The winds of change, they are a-blowing, apparently. I read a quote about the winds of change, which was a speech by a UK politician in South Africa. I think it was in the 1960s. And I get the feeling that the winds of change might start to blow, even if it's just a breeze. They may start to blow in the South African and the global markets quite soon. With me is Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. I just saw the Fed last night and they said, yeah, OK, we're not going to raise interest rates anytime soon. But on the other hand, we are going to withdraw $15 billion per month of support for the market. In other words, liquidity for the market. And we've had New Zealand raising rates and Australia also withdrawing a little bit of support for the financial services markets or the financial markets rather. Do you think the winds of change are blowing, Joanne? I don't, I don't think the winds of change are blowing from a withdrawal of liquidity perspective quite yet. Uh, and something I read today that said it's like putting ice in the ocean trying to cool the trying to cool the planet down. That's kind of what they're doing by removing the liquidity from the markets. It's it's really no big deal at the moment. And don't forget they're still net net putting new money in. Yeah. So it's just less money going in, but it's still money going in. I, I think what the market has been very ups, been very happy about is that it looks like interest rates will only happen much later in 2022, if at all. Uh, and it just look at what happened with the Bank of England today. I mean, interest rates, there are 0.1%. Inflation's running at over 5 and they didn't raise rates, despite the fact that it had been well telegraphed to the market they were going to raise rates, or at least anticipating they were going to raise rates. I think these central banks are absolutely terrified of raising rates. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, if you think about the economy in the States today, it's actually okay. The numbers are improving. We had jobless claims out like an hour ago that were much better than expectations. The market's improving. Things are getting better. We don't need hysterical interest rates, for want of a better word. We need to start normalizing policy. But the fact is they're too terrified to do so. So long live the market. And that's exactly what we're seeing. All-time highs on markets yesterday. Yes, it's, so, it's, yes, the winds uh, of change are coming, but they're not blowing very strongly, Lindsay, and people can still still take risk. They can still put money into the markets because the Tino argument is alive and well. Okay, Harold McMillan said the following. It's not the winds of change. I was wrong there. It's the wind of change is blowing through this continent, he said, in Cape Town. Whether we like it or not, this growth of national consciousness is a political fact. Now, if you sort of change some words there, if interest mm-hmm. rates do start to rise and if liquidity is withdrawn, no matter how gradually, that is a wind of change and people are not used to it. There are whole teams, there are whole squads, there are whole battalions of youngsters out there that have never seen interest rates that have gone up. They've only seen interest rates that have gone down. They've never seen anything but as much liquidity as you can shake a stick at. So something will give at some stage, Joanne. Look, I think something will give, and we've been anticipating something will give now for a couple of years, and they haven't given yet. I mean, back to your winds of change argument, a wind of change argument, it's a breeze, it's not a gale. Mm. So the, the reality is they are withdrawing liquidity from the market. They are talking about raising interest rates next year, maybe, if unemployment falls to the levels they want it to fall at. But they don't appear to be in any rush. And I think the point is, you know, you, you and I have debated this inflation debate at nauseum in your program. And no doubt you've had that same discussion with many others. The jury is very much out on how long this transitory inflation is going to be around for. Does it become structural? And no one seems to know. Guess what? Neither does the Fed. The Fed is saying we think supply disruption will come to an end and inflation will normalize sort of towards the back end of next year. So they don't want to punitively raise rates 
if it's not necessary to do so. So their hands are also tied. They don't know. I get the feeling they don't know what they're doing at the moment, to be brutally honest. I think they're waiting to be data dependent to see what happens. But back to your analogy of winds of change. Yes, it, it is changing. It's not as supportive as it was. That That's a definite line item. It's not as supportive as it was. But whether it's a howling gale is a different story. Like, so I ask you, would you sell your equities if you could find some consumer staples trading at two to three percent dividend yields? Let's make these numbers up yeah. for a 0.5 percent return out of the bank account. You know, we're not talking about rates going up to two, three percent. It's it's still incredibly low and they seem even terrified to do that. And again, let me highlight the Bank of England was supposed to raise rates today. It didn't. These central bankers have got a horror story on their hands. They don't know what they're doing as far as I'm concerned at the moment. And they're too scared to raise rates. But I do agree with you at the margin. It's not as positive as it was. Does that mean you want to sell everything? Probably not. Who knows? Markets can crash for no other reason just because they felt like it one day. None of us can ever time these things. Have you seen but the oil price? Think- Have you seen the oil price? Talking about uh, the Bank of England decision, how can the Bank of England influence the oil price? But it has done. Well, it can't. But it well, has done. Oh, because it made the comment that higher oil prices finally come down. No, no, it's just made, it's right? just because they're not uh, they're not uh, crimping economic uh, development uh, worldwide from that small island with no palm trees just north of France. Uh, Brent crude oil is now up two point seven percent, having been down three four percent over the last two or three days. It's now up two point seven percent in one day. It's eighty four dollars twenty for Brent crude. It's eighty three dollars and two cents per barrel for West Texas, which briefly dipped below eighty dollars a barrel last night. So markets are terribly sensitive to what the central bankers do. And I think the central bankers must sit down and have a look at themselves. And they have responsibility for every single asset class worldwide. And it annoys me. I'm annoyed. Well, I mean, I also, and I, I, mean, I'm, I don't disagree with you. I thought it was another interesting comment I read last night. Somebody was saying, come on, inflation's picking up in the US. You've got to raise rates. It's not fair because most of us are employed and our wages aren't keeping up to date with inflation numbers on the ground. So there were quite a few people who were saying, I am employed. I'm not getting wage inflation increases. Please do something about the inflation that I'm having to live with on a day-to-day basis. So just so you can protect 2% of people who are not employed, the rest of us are really struggling out there. So, so there's also that interesting comment coming through. And, and I think it's, look, when I look at the inflation numbers, I think there's quite a lot of pressure on the inflation front right now. And we haven't even seen rental inflation really pick up in the US yet. Wait till that starts coming through the base. Wait till people say, we can't live, we can't eat. You have to give us higher wages. So I think the Fed, personally, I think the Fed's making a mistake at the moment, but you know, they're far cleverer than me by a long way. And they don't, want to, they don't want to hike rates. They're going to do it next year very, very, very slowly. So the message to markets is, stay long. We've got your back. That's what central banks are saying. In other we words, you've got, you've got a permanent put option with the central well, banks. Well, it certainly feels that way at the moment. I mean, it I'm does. more in your camp, Lindsay. I'm more in your camp of it's getting harder, the winds of change are coming through, a breeze on a gale, that I'm more worried about margin pressure. You know, ultimately, share prices are determined by earnings, correct? And, and GDP growth rates and yes. all those sort of things. And I think earnings are going to start to struggle going forward if they don't curb the excesses in the system, if they don't curb the inflation numbers coming through. And how many companies really have pricing power? So I think it's going to become more difficult. And I think the central banks, by not raising rates earlier, the worry is they're forced to raise by more than they want to when they eventually have to. And that's the conundrum markets are dealing with. But, you know, I mean, last night, the the yield curve in America started positive again, looking much better, flattening to more positive. 
market saying this is good for growth, back to your oil analogy. Yeah, I mean, it's great if you're, I, I think at the moment what you should be doing is buying more value shares in your portfolios, more cyclical growth type companies, your energy companies, your financials, because central banks are making it, you know, they're saying we want growth and it doesn't matter if inflation comes along with it, they want growth. Okay, so you want value rather than growth when it comes to asset classes on world's equities markets. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you look, I don't think stagflation is the worry that people will worry about. I mean, you and I have said that many times. I, I think growth is going to be okay. And I think if you look at where the prices make more sense, it's on the value side of the spectrum. And if growth is stronger than people are currently anticipating, that looks really interesting to me. And, you know, if you just look at some of the earnings numbers coming out of these energy companies, these financial companies, it looks pretty attractive relative to a lot of the tech companies that a lot of good news has been priced into these shares. Okay, so what are you doing? Into uh, I know it's, it sounds a little bit early for this, but um, I think everyone's a little bit fed up, so they're going to take their end-of-year breaks a little bit early. It's the 4th of November, nearly, mm -hmm. well, less than two months to, before the end of the year. 2022, are you going to be going for growth or value? Are you going to be defensive or expansive in your asset class allocation? Okay, so let's talk about value versus growth first. I, I think you need both in a portfolio, but at the margin, I think some of these value shares are looking quite interesting. Remember, they started off well in November last year, then this kind of growth took over again. I, I think some of the growth shares and some of the movements we've seen, I mean, eight days, new highs, NASDAQ are getting a little bit silly, mm. to be honest. I mean, let's not even go to Tesla, which I'm sure you've debated with many of your guests. Yes. There's some incredible anomalies in the market right now. I think if you think growth is going to be okay, then I think the value sector looks interesting because you're also, it's less risky, inverted commas, because you're not paying as much for those assets, all things being equal. So then to answer your expansive versus defensive argument, you know, we're holding the line. We still have quite a lot of cash waiting on the sidelines, waiting for a correction that never seems to come because I think ultimately at the, at the broader level, markets aren't cheap. So I think there are pockets of opportunities in markets, but they're not completely broad-based, is my point. So from an expansion perspective, we, we still remain relatively cautious. I'm not saying no exposure to equities, but on a sort of balanced mandate between sort of 50 to 60 percent, we're not sitting at 70, 80, just to give an idea in terms of equity exposure. And again, it's, to, it's entirely predicated on what the client wants. So well, clearly a cautious investor would never have that kind of equity exposure. So you're not sitting so on the fence. You're not sitting on the fence. But what you are saying is that um, I'm, I'm sort of sliding off a little bit. I'm, I'm starting yeah, to slide like off the fence. I, I look, we, none of us ever know when the market's going to correct. We just don't. Otherwise, if we did, we'd all be incredibly rich. The reality is the one thing you have in markets is a valuation underpin. And right now you don't have it. So historic, if, if you were telling me I can buy shares on P's of 6 to 7 with dividend yields of 4 to 5%, well, then do we really care what's going to happen next week? Mm. But when you're buying some companies in forward P's of 40 or price-to-sales ratios over 10, there's not a lot of cushion if anything goes wrong. That's the problem you've got. So being – and also remember something. It's not our money. It's other people's money. And when it's other people's money, you'll be very careful how you trade it and how you look after their money because it's their money they've worked very hard for. So – I don't think you have to put everything into the markets. And I understand why in offshore markets, people don't want to have much cash or bonds because, you know, frankly, there's no returns on those assets. And if inflation is stickier than we all think it's going to be, then bonds are dreadful investments. But, you know, locally, there's, there are other opportunities here. It doesn't have to all be in the equity market. At least I say bonds are giving you very attractive returns. You know, back to the winds of change argument, Lindsay, you were talking about, you know, U.S. markets. Well, what about what's happening in South Africa at the moment? This has been a very interesting election. 
or municipal elections, shall I say. It's been yeah, but that's, for that, that's for the future. This is the wind of change that has started to blow. And unfortunately, it'll be a one generation away before Action SA and other political parties start to erode significantly into the ruling party's uh, support base. So it's going to be a while. But it is a step in the right direction, I think. Look, it is a step in the right direction. I think that the one thing I am somewhat concerned about is... Does, do the EFF and ANC form a coalition, coalition parties in the various districts? Not a chance. And does the ANC, well, I ho- certainly hope not. But then you don't want them to start leaning towards the EFF and saying this is what the, what the people in the street want. They want the EFF. That, that is the slight worry I have. The other slight worry I have is, you know, Soroma Poza is rapidly losing his popularity. And I'm not convinced who's going to follow him in the ANC. Because ANC, despite you know, not being the majority across a lot of regions now, is still the biggest party in South Africa. It might have lost its majority at an overall level, but it's still the biggest party. Uh, and you want someone credible running that, that party. And that's a bit concerning when you see how badly they've done in these elections and who will replace them if they replace them at all. So that's something that's slightly concerning. But then I look at things like Action SA, and I, I'm, you know, that's a new party establishing itself. And people are saying we want change. And and hopefully the ANC wakes up and listens. That's the most important. Do they wake up and listen? Okay, this has got nothing to do with you, but I hope the EFF is one of the losers as Action SA and a couple of other parties start to erode the support base of uh, established parties because the EFF, they seem to be Marxist. Uh, Karl Marx and Lenin and Trotsky, they didn't wear Gucci loafers that they bought from Santon City. <laughs> no, they didn't. And, you know, it's a bit like what's it, Mary Antoinette who said, make them eat, let them have cake. Let them eat cake, exactly. Yeah, so I I just think that's, look, that's not a good solution for South Africa. And that's why I'm saying one of the concerns is the ANC moved towards the EF side of the platform. But I think one of the messages coming out of these local elections was that South Africans are sick to death of corruption. Mm. And and what they've seen their local municipalities falling apart because of corruption and cadre employment. And I think they're saying, we've had enough. We want competent people running things. And if Action SA or the DA can be those competent people, we don't care what colour they are. So what's also quite interesting coming out of this is that employment seems to be a big issue for people than cut than race, uh, and that's quite enlight- That's quite a good thing as far as I can see as well. But you know, it's a nice. Nice to see. I mean, we, I don't think anyone kind of predicted quite the losses the ANC took this time round. So it, it, it is very pleasing to see that the public still have a voice and the vote counts. But having said all of that, the turnout was terrible. People just didn't pitch up. Yeah. And, and that's also pretty worrying. People were, uh, uh, there was apathy, there was indifference. And that is a, and people can say, well, the weather was bad or uh, because of COVID. No, they just don't care because they're fed up with politicians. There isn't one, isn't anyone that's inspiring. And that includes President Sir Ramaphosa. I'm afraid. So anyway, let's not get too political now. Uh, you're going to be earning your envelope, um, your monthly envelope next year, because it's not going to be uh, an asset. Cl- it's going to be an asset allocation and uh, a very stock specific and asset class specific year, I think. I think the good times are not over, uh, but there will be a, a certain amount of research that you have to do. Not that you don't do it already, but you're going to be, have to be very clever next year, I think, Joanne. And I agree with you. I, I think it's going to become much more down to which regions you invest in, which thematics you invest in, which sectors. It's not just going to be buying beta. 
if, if that's kind of where you're coming from. I think it'd be much yes. more selective and where you invest people's money. Um, you know, historically, you could just buy lots of beta and you were okay. I think it's become much harder to do that. And I think offshore, it's going to get trickier because as you move from sort of growth to value, that actually finally takes place. Markets can be a bit jittery along the way. But yeah, nice. No, I agree with you. It's going to be a lot harder next year to make money. But then... Who knows? Markets always surprise us. No one knows. I do know. That's the whole <laughs> no, point. Whenever you think you've got a theory, the markets show you you're not so clever after all. That's all I've learned in my life. Joanne, thank you very much for your insight. That was Joanne Noble, Beta Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position, or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.